0: Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way Podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum, to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots, and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ, who in turn, disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries.
1: And I'm Steve Manscar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries.
0: Well, it's upon us. School is back in session, at least here in the South. Uh, Baseball is beginning to get into its home stretch. Uh, Churches are offering their their new classes. And so we thought we would do this episode as a frequently asked question, questions we get a lot in terms of small group ministry. I had the opportunity last week to be at the School of Congregational Development in Atlanta, uh, my hometown, which is a lot of fun. And I got to do a workshop on small groups. And so I asked them, "Hey, what are you facing? what What challenges are you having? And got their answers and also uh, put the question out on Twitter. hey, what what challenges are you facing? And so we'll we'll tackle some of those questions today. And we'll start with a question that comes from Dan Richwine. Dan is a pastor at Greensburg United Methodist Church in Indiana. He reached out on Twitter and he, tweeted this. He said, most pressing question, what's the most effective way to start small groups in a church that doesn't have them? So Steve, I'm going to let you tackle this first. It's a really good question and um, one that I've heard from others. So what do you and think?
1: I bet you can guess my answer to that question.
0: <laughs> I, I bet I can, I can but, but I'll let you say it anyway.
1: Well, a way I'm not going to I'm not saying that this is the only way. Right, yeah. Um. There there are I'm sure many ways of doing this, but a, a, a way that is particularly Wesleyan is to introduce covenant discipleship groups. And I say that because effective, faithful small group ministry requires leaders. Yeah. The formation of. Um, Real of solid leaders, and, and when I say leader, I'm talking about you know laity people that God has placed in every congregation, right? And that's the purpose of covenant discipleship groups is that's where your leaders are going to be formed, yeah. is in those groups that meet every week for mutual accountability and support for their discipleship. Um, and the pastor ideally the pastor is in at least the first group and and so that that process of weekly accountability and support for discipleship among those people yeah. is what forms them helps them to you know really the spirit really w- opens them to the working of the holy spirit and helps some of them maybe most hopefully maybe all of them to um Realize and sense God's call on their life to serve as leaders in discipleship for the congregation. Yeah, some of them will serve as hopefully as class leaders in the office of class leader. Maybe we can do another podcast on who's who's a class leader and what do they do.
0: Yeah, that's true. That's good. Um,
1: and one way you know you could start class meetings, um, and and in order to do that
0: you need. Leaders. You need a leader to lead a class. So those in the covenant discipleship group become the class leaders who then lead the classes? Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm with you.
1: Um, And the class is simply a group of people who are ready to be more intentional about living as followers of Jesus Christ in the world shaped by the general rule of discipleship, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So in a class meeting, you would ask, you know, the leader starts by asking the question, how is it with your soul? Mm. And the way that that you answer that question is shaped by how you put that general rule into practice in your daily lives since your last meeting. Um, so covenant discipleship groups is where leaders are formed okay, and that 's what you need. then you can form new more groups um, from there okay so that's that's where you begin um
0: so let me let me stop and ask two questions. I, I know I can remember one of the two questions anyway yeah. that you've sparked. And the first question that I, I know I got is how many people, how many people should ideally be in a covenant meeting, covenant discipleship group, and how many should be in a class meeting? And I gave a really bad answer here, so I'm looking forward to your answer.
1: Well, at covenant subship groups, we say there shouldn't be more any more than seven people. okay. Um, and the the reason for that is very practical. The The meeting, you you know, the time commitment you ask of people that are going to be in a covenant subject group is one hour a week. That's yeah. how the meeting is one hour, 60 minutes. You begin on time, you end on time. You need to be very deliberate about that. And so if you have seven people, generally, if the meeting is run well— Everyone. That's part of the key, yeah. You can get through every part of the covenant with everyone within an hour. Okay. With seven people. You get more than seven people. That'd be tough. You're going to have to then. That'd be real tough. It it just complicates group dynamics. Yeah. um, And the time, you know, then you, you probably need to expand the time.
0: And I would also say that past seven, you're really fighting intimacy level too. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I know in Julie Gorman's book, she talks about the size of a group, and every time you add one more person, the relationships multiply. Yeah. Right. And so, past that, that makes sense. No more than seven, and, and you know, five or six may even be ideal. Um, yeah. All right. So the other thought—it wasn't a question, but a thought that hit me—that as I've been part of covenant discipleship, what strikes me about it is the balanced discipleship that it promotes. When we talk about being intentional, about forming leaders and forming disciples and mm-hmm. uh, making sure they have a discipleship process, um, talk about how covenant discipleship promotes a balanced, you're, you're forming balanced disciples, not just those that you're giving the right information to. Because I think a lot of people think of, well, if I'm going to disciple right, I'm going to give them all this knowledge, all this information. And what I, what I've gleaned from from you and being a part of Covenant Discipleship is that it's it's about forming well balanced leaders. So say a little say a word about that, real yeah, quick. Yeah,
1: and it's about forming habits.
0: Habits. Okay, that's a good way to do that. Yeah, um, say that.
1: You know, Wesley understood, and I think people today are coming to sort of rediscover what Wesley already knew. <laughs> right. Is that if you really want to form people and change them. You don't do that by filling their heads with good teachings and knowledge.
0: Oh, which you, solely or, or, or only. Or solely. You know, yeah, I'm yeah. not
1: saying that's not right. important. You know, learning is certainly important, sure. and it was certainly important to Wesley. Yeah. But he knew that that wasn't the only thing you could. You know, in order to form people and to form their character into the image of Christ, you need to form habits. Yeah. And that's where the, the balanced discipleship you're talking about mm-hmm. comes in. And that's where the general rule of discipleship plays a critical role. Right. That in that general rule, you see, a, that's why we use the Jerusalem cross mm-hmm. to represent that it's a balance. It's visual. Yeah. So it's a balance between uh, witnessing to Jesus Christ in the world and following his teachings through the works of piety. A love for God. Loving God with all of your heart, soul, mm-hmm. and mind through acts of devotion and acts of worship and loving your neighbor as yourself through what Wesley called the works of mercy, acts of Mm. compassion, acts of justice. So there's that balance between loving God and loving your neighbor, or as I like to say, loving who God loves. There's also balance between the personal because mm. discipleship is deeply in our relationship with God is deeply personal. Right. But it's also social right. and public. So there's that that also that balance we try to maintain that balance between our personal relationship with God yeah. and the social responsibility and relationship with our neighbors and the people that God has given us in. To relate to in the congregation, and in the neighborhood, and in the world. Yeah. So the personal dimensions of the rule is you know is the acts of devotion is what I do hmm. to nurture my personal relationship with Christ through daily prayer and scripture reading, maybe fasting, like writing a journal, keeping a journal. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and there's other practices of, yeah. but mainly you know prayer and scripture. Um and search prayer, scripture, and fasting. Those are the three that Wesley lists in the general rules oh, okay. that okay, are the great. acts of devotion, the personal okay. practices. Right. And then the acts of worship is what we do as a, in the gathered assembly of the congregation on yeah. Sunday morning, maybe Wednesday night, maybe Sunday night when Christians gather together around the table um, to hear the word read and proclaimed
0: Retell the story.
1: Exactly. That's, yeah. that's, what, that's the public dimension, the yeah. social dimension of loving God with all of your heart. We do that together. Yeah. Um, in terms of the works of mercy, the acts of compassion is something that I can do to help a person in need that I encounter um, or that I maybe seek out. Um, it's something that I can do for another person, acts of kindness.
0: Which is um, really... The place where class leaders or class meetings started, right, as they were going around and collecting the pennies, right, <laughs> was they noticed these pastoral care situations, and right. Anyway, I'll, yeah. I'll, yeah,
1: and then the acts of justice is what we do together hmm. um, with and with other faith communities to address the needs in the world, in the church, yeah, um, in our schools, what you know, wherever
0: which is a much better (laughs) theological way of talking about what I hear is sort of charity work or mission work is is really going out and um, discerning what God's doing among us and, and, and doing justice. Right. So I think that's key. And I think that those handles, those four things can be great handles when we're talking about forming disciples. What does that look like? I think those four things can be um, and then what that does, you know,
1: if you meet weekly to give an account of what you've done. That's what happens in a covenant Cybership group. You give an right. account of what you've done and not done.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, this is not a therapy. You know, it's not about <laughs> therapy sharing your deepest darkest sins and secrets. Oh, well, but it might happen, but it but, it, yeah. it might eventually happen as love and trust are built over, over time. time,
0: over time. Big word, there, yeah.
1: But what you're there to do is to share with one another what you've done yeah. and what you've not done in light of the covenant that you've written that's sh- that shaped yep. by the general rule of discipleship. And over time, you develop habits. That's the point of this whole thing is the yeah. development of what I love J- Bishop Ken Carter um, called Holy Habits, Yep, the formation of Holy Habits. That's what the class meeting was all about was mm. teaching people how to live the Christian life by
0: giving them habits to form. It's very different than the way we think of small groups today which is dispensing knowledge. Right. Not building habits. And so
1: And that's what this podcast is I think about about it's more about helping developing small groups that form those habits. Right. And you can do both together. That's right. You know, yeah, teaching and learning, expensive. but also um helping and fostering, encouraging people to develop these habits.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about this before, so we're not going to go too far down that road. Uh, They can hear some of our past episodes. But uh, Dan Richwine, thank you so much for your question. Uh, He's, uh, I learned, a fellow Asbarian. So i um, always glad when Asbarians reach out. So, uh, Dan Richwine, you'll you'll get a uh, nice little swag from Discipleship Ministries from us for reaching out to us and asking your question. And Hope that answers it a little well, bit. Well,
1: and since you've re- I would like to hear, let's let's hear from some graduates of Wesley Theological <laughs> Seminary right. in the Washington, there. D.C.
0: Put out the challenge, yeah. Um, so, yeah, thanks for your question. And if, if, if uh, you need more information, let us know. We'd love to talk to you some more about that. Let's move on to our next question which was um, how do we get people to show up and then how do we help it's sort of a two-part uh, question how do we get participants and then how do we identify new leaders So where do we, where how do we want to uh, jump in to to this one because it's it's a really uh, it's obviously a pressing question people asked it a lot
1: Well I think in my experience in in United Methodist congregations is once people need to be convinced that small groups are important that they that they need to be in a small the group. Why? Um, and I think uh, uh, one place to begin there would be to do some really be very intentional about reminding people and teaching the baptismal covenant.
0: Oh, that's yeah. About foundation. the foundation, mean,
1: the meaning of ba- You know, our identity as Christians is in that baptismal covenant. Yep. And I think that needs to be we need to be intentional about holding that in front of people regularly. Yeah. And then in a way I would do it is in teaching our Wesleyan tradition that that small groups are in our DNA as United mm. Methodists. Yeah. And that in order to help, in order to help each of us to be to live out our baptismal, our baptism, our baptismal covenant, um, that requires relationships with you know we can't do it alone.
0: Right. Yeah. We need. We it need. It calls us beyond individuality. We need
1: the support and the accountability and the love of others who maybe have been on this journey longer than we have that we can learn from. And the way you build those relationships is by being in a small group that meets more frequently than just on Sunday morning.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I think there's creative ways to do this, right? I mean, I think yeah. the obvious is sort of, well, I've got a baptism, I can you know say some things there, but there's, each, each and every Sunday, you can do a re- reaffirmation of your baptism. And I think uh, especially smaller churches who may not do a lot of baptisms um, can do some creative things in terms of moving the baptismal font, right? Well, we
1: we could do what Episcopal churches, Catholic church, particularly if you go to an an Episcopal church probably, you will find the baptismal font near the entrance of the church. Yeah, that's what I was going to say.
0: Try that and just watch. (laughs) Watch what people and do. Have they the walk font in. there
1: with water in it. Yeah. And teach people that as you enter the church to touch that water, to remember that you are baptized. Yeah. That's why it's there. Yeah. Um, you know, I you know, just I got one of the things I get to do, I love to do in my job is I take people on a Wesley pilgrimage in England every year. Yeah. And we're based for seven of the 10 nights at Sarum College in mm. Salisbury. It's inside the close of Salisbury Cathedral. So, so we, we're part of the cathedral community. Okay, interesting. And it's become a home away from home for me because I've been there so many times. And I love the baptismal font at Salisbury Cathedral, which is on the western, at the west. it's placed at the western end of the nave. Mm right opposite the entrance where people enter the church for worship, as you walk through that door, the first thing you see is the baptismal font, Mm. and it's full of water all the way to the top. In fact, water overflows and runs out into the floor in this thing. It's amazing. And so when I go to worship for a morning prayer at Salisbury Cathedral, I make a point of going and touching Mm. that water. And it's there to remind me, Help me remember that I am baptized.
0: You're one of the baptized. I that's like right. Wait. Liturgy man says that you're one of the baptized. Um, is that the one that's eight sided?
1: It's four sided.
0: Oh, It's four sided. Okay.
1: A lot of baptismal fonts are eight sided. Yeah. But this one is it's four sided. It's a big tank, really, with okay. four water runs out of the four points.
0: Oh, interesting. Like four, four corners the floor, of the world.
1: So it it. Must have this mechanism that pumps it, you know, recirculates it.
0: I just like the ones that are eight sided because of the symbolism for the eighth day of creation. Eighth day of creation, yeah. Yeah. Um, We went off a little bit there. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Let's get back to getting participants. I think another way you can get participants is by doing what a lot of churches have begun doing um, taster events, right? Instead of the sort of formal class membership. have that in a way where people come and are around small groups, get a lot of small group discussion going so they can begin to taste what a small group will look like. Because so many people have sort of projections and fears about being in a small group, help them begin to experience it, that, that you're not going to be asked to reveal your deepest darkest secret every time. And that you're, they're going to force you to pray out loud every time. And that's a big fear a lot of people have, um, but get them to experience it in a more comfortable way and then sort of transition into whatever the small groups look like in your particular church I, I think can be a way to do that. We've also mentioned um, making sure the pastors modeling this by being in a small group yeah, yeah. I think that's a, a that's a huge one as well. What about in terms of identifying new leaders what would you say to that?
1: Well again that's where covenant discipleship is very helpful you know people who who are in covenant discipleship groups uh, I, I think another place to look for leaders. Uh, would be people who have completed and been through disciple Bible study, yeah. or been are active in the walk to Emmaus, because that's that's really what the walk to Emmaus is supposed to True. be about—is forming leaders in discipleship for the congregation, yeah. for the church. So those those people who are active in Emmaus would be good uh, candidates yeah. to tap for leadership of small groups. Um. And then just, you know, knowing people and having a sense of what their their faith life is. You know, are, are they people of prayer? Mm. You know, are they are they regular in attendance? You know, your small group leaders need to be people who are there on Sunday, you know, at least showing up for worship on Sunday morning yeah. more than once a month,
0: yeah. you know,
1: hopefully every week. They're the people that you need to look to as potential small group leaders.
0: I think it's a matter of intention too. Am I am I constantly asking my small group leaders, hey, who are you seeing who can be a leader in the future? Yeah. Right? Being intentional about that over and over again because at at some point somebody's not ready for that. But in six months, maybe oh, you know what, they are ready now. Yeah. Right. And and then having an intentional training opportunity for them to where um they get some training to help equip them so they feel equipped once they do that. So I think that's some of the ways. I think we could probably spend a lot longer on that, but we'll we'll move on. Um, the next one then is uh, is a big one, um, time. I had a bunch of people ask about time in, in, in some different ways, one of which was people are just overscheduled. How, how in the world? I mean, I, I think sort of what I hear is, just simply by asking them to be a part of the small group just invites more guilt, right? They know they don't have the time. They know they should be in one, and so it just invites a lot of guilt. So, how do we help those who are overscheduled experience being in a small group?
1: Well, when when I saw this question, the first thing that popped into my mind because I've been on the Emmaus weekend, yeah, and I think it was the it's the first talk. Is about priorities, and it's a really good talk about, sure, you know, if if we're Christians, that means our priorities need to reflect that, mm. and so that's one place to begin with helping people to look at their priorities, do some assessment, do exactly, some you know, examine. Yes, we're all busy, <laughs> but what's important? Yeah. What, what's, what can I give up maybe if I, if I need to give something up yeah. in order to walk closer with Christ in the world, mm-hmm. to, become, to develop those habits that I know will help me be a more faithful disciple, help me to, be, uh, to become the person that God created me to be. You know I need to put some effort into that. I can't yeah. you know it's we need to cooperate with with Christ in this, and if we're allowing other things that maybe we don't need to be doing mm. you know that's and I think churches need to be looking at you know are there stuff themselves? that we're doing as a church that's yeah. over programming people yeah. and preventing them from growing as disciples.
0: Yeah, that's first and foremost. Are we are
1: we simply filling up their lives with activities that don't really yeah. form them as disciples of Jesus Christ? You know, we need to be looking at that as yeah. con- con- churches are just as guilty of adding to the busyness of yeah. people's lives. That's very true. Um, And, you know, and then, you know, because I remember when I had a, we had a little kid at home and there were at stuff at school and being involved. We were, you know, both my wife and I were very involved in the schools and mm-hmm. um, sports. You know, Noah played baseball and I was, you know, helped to coach baseball. And, you know, so, but we also prayed at night and...
0: Found the time.
1: Found the time yeah. To. Yeah. to make sure that we remembered who we are.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good way to put that, right? And I think there's ways churches can equip people who are busy and have an emotional and financial investment in what they're doing, that they're not just going to quit, right? They're not going to look at the priorities and go, yeah, you're right, I'm, I'm giving up travel baseball or whatever it is. We sort of give travel baseball a bad name, but um, you know, whatever that may be for some folks, right? yeah. it doesn't have to be that, yeah. it can be lots of different things. And how do we, if people are finding community in these groups that they're a part of, how might we equip some of them to find sort of a smaller segment of that group to, to be intentional, as opposed to always thinking, well, how do we get them to come to church? Right. How do we help find some times and equip some people to, hey, you're with this group. You're going to have some downtime. Here are some ways y'all can do Bible study together in those places. right? And, and try and partner with people as opposed to. Yeah. And everything doesn't have to happen at the church. Right. You know, you, you can do it. <laughs> some in, of the best stuff doesn't. <laughs> in, in
1: homes, meet yeah. at coffee shops.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think the other thing that you mentioned, and I think this will be the last thing that we get to, is it speaks to how we do some of the other activities at church, right? Because we do, we do have need for a trustees committee and a finance committee. Or I know some churches have gone to the, the one committee approach and some other things, which is, which is pretty interesting. But how do we help those function as small groups as well, right? And not just uh, a meeting with a prayer at the beginning and the end, Right. How do we help those become intentional times of disciple-making?
1: Well, that's where I think it's very helpful for a congregation to adopt the general rule of discipleship as its rule of life. Mm. Which means then, if you ad- then the general rule of discipleship, which again, I'll say it again, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That if that's the the rule of life of the congregation, yeah. then, you know, make it a policy that whenever, say, the trustees meet, yeah, they have an agenda of what they need to accomplish in that meeting. Sure. But they also need to set aside time where maybe they pair off with each other and check in with each other as to how they're doing with these habits that the rule of life says we need to be working on. Yeah. Um, and s- praying with each other and being accountable with each other, yeah. with how they're living and pr- living the Christian life, and that can happen in any group. And I think it ch- yeah, especially needs to be happening in groups like the church, the the the, 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 the church council, the trustees, the finance committee, um, Missions. the mission, Christian, any uh, committee that meets. They need to be a place where they're helping each other live the Christian life shaped by our rule of life. That's the purpose of the rule of life is to, again, to help us to form those habits that help us to cooperate with the Holy Spirit Mm. and to form us into the people God created us to be.
0: Yeah. I think it's really good advice. And I think, you know, in my mind, as I think about some of the churches I've been a part of and introducing something like that, I, ca- I could see the first time or two going pretty weird <laughs> and sort of sloppy <laughs> Well, that's why there, there needs to be
1: some teaching, some pastoral right. leadership and teaching.
0: Right. Well, and, and I say that so um, that people will realize if it doesn't go great the first time, not to give up.
1: Right. To stick with because it.
0: Because this, this may be really uncomfortable for folks. Most... In my experience, most Methodists are more comfortable with curriculum. Yeah. And what you're advocating for, and I think you're right to advocate for this, is that let's have some more intentional relationship time, which is going to feel pretty awkward to folks. And I think if if pastors who are beginning to do something like this would, would sort of know that's coming, mm-hmm. right, and, and help people kind of push through that initial awkwardness. Because I think— and all that we've what we've said today, if we sort of sum it up, would be discipleship is a slow process, not a quick process. And it's a relational process, it's a, yeah, really good word, right? But it can happen it happens best. I would say it this way, when all these pieces work together, when worship, formation, those times are in, we see the connection from, what's happening in worship to what's happening in these other places, yeah. that we truly begin to live as baptized people, that connections are made, habits are formed, and we're doing the work that we're called to do, right. making disciples yeah. of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. So we'll leave it there. That was um, the questions that we got. If you've got questions, please, by all means, tweet us, email us, um, find us on Facebook. Uh, we would love to hear from you. and. Because we want to ha- make this as interactive as possible. You can find me on Twitter, both at Rev Scott's Tweets and also at UMC Adult Form, which is Adult Formation. Steve?
1: And on Twitter, I my handle is at S Manskar. That's S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R.
0: And I remind you of the website, umcdiscipleship.org. Find us there. Uh, We would love to connect with you. You can find our email addresses, and we look forward to hearing from you. And so until next time, peace.
1: Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.